this is Ruin Willow, and you are listening to the Oh, Fuck Yeah! with Ruin Willow podcast. I'm so excited you're here. I have an amazing excerpt for you today from an erotica author who writes erotic fantasy fairy tales. She writes about Snow White, and it's sexy, naughty, exciting stuff. Her name is Regina Grimm, and I'm going to read an excerpt from her book, Snow White and the Wicked Queen, from chapter one. And this is available on Amazon. She has four books in this series. Snow, the complete erotic series is coming in paperback in late 2022. If you're new to my podcast, I talk about all things related to sex and sexuality, sexual health. I have experts on to chat with and learn from so we can have better sex, learn better our own sexuality and express our own sexuality and learn how to be better sexual beings, get more satisfaction and please our partners better. Having more sex, having more fun, intimacy. Oh, fuck yeah. And I also talk about erotica. I read mine and others and all things related to sexuality. So if you're under 18, it's time to leave the podcast now. Okay, let's get started. This is an excerpt from Snow White and the Wicked Queen, Chapter 1 by Regina Grimm. And stay for the interview the chat I had with Regina. We talked for a long time about all kinds of different things. We had so much fun. Stick around and hear two women talking about sex and erotica and sexuality and so much more. Stay tuned for the interview. This book is currently on Amazon Kindle, so you may be able to read portions of it if you are a member. The milky water was just starting to cool and the morning light was creeping across the floor when Queen heard a knock at her chamber door. Her dozing maid snapped to her feet and opened the door for the king's adviser, who craned his neck to peer at the queen while he whispered to the maid, His highness has retired to his chambers and would like to see his bride. The words swirled in the queen's ears, and her lips quirked in a smile her eyes sliding to the adjoining door through which she knew she would find her husband. Without a word, nor care for the two servants still standing in the chamber door, the queen pushed herself from her bath, her skin rosy from the heat, and stepped from the tub. Crossing the stone floor in its layers of woven rugs, the queen let the water run from her skin, reaching up to pull the pins from her hair and letting the piles of golden curls tumble free over the curves of her hips. Milady, the maid called out, struggling to chase the queen with a bath sheet and robe, but the queen had already pushed the adjoining door open between the two bedrooms and closed it firmly behind her. The king's chamber was no more luxurious than his queen's, nor were the furnishings more elaborate. The queen took note, but then her eyes closed on the king, a predator observing her prey. Standing just beyond the bedroom doors, King Oscar and a small knot of his men stood talking and laughing. One by one, the men's eyes fell on the queen as she advanced, 
and a stunned silence rolled across the room. With his back to the queen, the king laughed on the longest. What is it, boys? You look like you've seen a water nymph. Then he turned his head, and his jaw fell open when his gaze fell on his naked bride. Walking to stand at the foot of the king's massive four-post bed, twisting slightly so the firelight would cast and bounce across her wet skin, the queen stopped, her full lips curving into a slight smile. Out. Her low voice was a command, and the king's men made a hasty retreat, leaving the king with his new bride. I've been waiting for you, the queen admonished. I should have come sooner. King Oscar's mouth was working strangely as his eyes slid over her naked skin. The queen turned her head away from the king, and he stumbled forward at the loss of her gaze. Perhaps I should return to my chambers and sleep. We could try this again tomorrow. No. King Oscar stepped closer, his hands up, bleeding. He straightened his spine and fought to remember he was king, not some horny milksop. You are my bride, and you will stay with me tonight. The queen turned her gaze back to his, and he felt his heart tighten painfully in his chest. Perhaps you should beg me. The queen's tone was teasing, but there was iron in her words. Recoiling slightly, the king shook his cloudy head. I am king. I beg for nothing. The queen simply smiled, and King Oscar again lost his heart in the heat of her gaze. Then his hands were at his throat, struggling with fastenings until his cloak fell away. He tossed off his tunic, boots, and breeches until he was standing naked before her. Her eyes looked on the heaviness of his cock, and she wet her lips. It jumped under her gaze, and her need heated in her core. The queen's lips twitched. The crown? With a careless swipe, the king knocked his crown from his head. Slowly... The queen raised her eyes from the firelight playing off the gems in his crown to look at the man she had married. His legs were well-formed and heavily muscled, almost too lean from his recent mourning. Her eyes slid over the hard planes of his stomach, the breadth of his chest, his shoulders broad and strong. His hands lay fisted on his thighs, his muscles flexing in time to some unheard rhythm. Tilting her head, the queen took in the cords of his neck and noticed his pulse racing there before she peered into his face. His deep blue eyes looked as inky as the sea at night from her distance. His strong jaw covered in a short, dark stubble. His hair cropped unfashionably short on the sides and hanging long at the top. A warrior style that warned all who looked at him that this was no helpless noble. His strong brows twitched, his firm lips pursed below a sculpted nose as he waited. The queen looked him over once more, assessing she might have expected the soft, round body of a nobleman. But the king had the body of a warrior, hard and solid and dangerous. His virile health spoke of his winds, while his scars told tales of his losses. The queen had heard the legends. 
and though she was eager to sample this man in bed, a quiver of doubt twisted in her breast. Some said he had outwitted Queen Mab and forged an alliance with the Fae. He might not be as easy to control as she had hoped. Bow to me, the queen murmured into the silence broken only by the crackling of the fire and the huff of the queen's breath. His eyes widened, and she watched him struggle under the command, his foggy mind fighting against her will. She trained her gaze on his face, fascinated as finally as he bent, and he fell awkwardly on one knee before her. The queen's smile widened. Oscar stared at her through unfocused eyes, his chest heaving under the weight of his breath. Crawl to me. The queen's voice trembled as she pressed on, determined to weigh her hold over her new husband, but fearful of his reaction should this dangerous game turn on her. Over the crack of the flame she listened to the rasp of his breathing as his chin dropped to his chest. The queen held her breath biting her lip to maintain her focus, and waited. After an eternity, one strong, scarred hand fell to the carpet, followed swiftly by the second, and her warrior king began crawling toward his new queen. Dark satisfaction crawled to the queen, and she bit down on her relief. She knew the price she would pay for letting any man in her life run free without her control and would not pay that price again. And then he was at her feet, head bowed, weight balanced between his hands and knees. She watched his breath heave in his back, the muscles and scars a splendid display as he struggled between his arrogance and her will. Kneel up and look at me. The queen whispered and watched the fluid pull in his muscles as he sat back on his heels, and tipped his head to look at her. He was handsome enough, she decided, in a savage way, like a vicious dog, trained to lick your hand. But she would never love him. Her heart was far too cold for love. Do you find me beautiful, my king? A worm of fear trembled in what was left of her heart. She released her hold on him long enough to watch his eyes clear. You, my bride, are the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. His words soothed the ever-aching wound in her soul and stoked her passion to a fiery roar. It would be so much fun to fuck. But still, she resisted reaching for her husband. More beautiful than your first wife? The queen pressed and watched a shadow fall across Oscar's rugged face. A love so deep and impossibly strong swept into his eyes, blinded with pain too raw to comprehend. The king's gaze dropped away and he shifted his muscles as if to stand. But the queen stepped forward, focusing her powers harder, pearly beads of sweat breaking across her brow. She reached out one slender hand and turned his face back to her. At the touch of her skin, when his shadowed gaze collided with her eager one, the queen watched the fog slide back into his eyes as his mouth went slack. 
Who is the most beautiful? Her voice was strained, the darkness in her heart spreading, demanding, Who is the fairest? Oscar's eyes lit with desire, and he stared up at her, a puppet in a warrior's shell. You, my bride, my queen, you are the fairest in all the land. And the queen's aching soul was soothed. Show me. She whispered and stepped forward, pressing the golden curls between her legs to the rough shadow at his lips. Okay, woo, that is an intensely sexy power play going on in that scene. Holy fuck me. Wow. Yeah, that's fucking hot. Get this book. Man, I can't wait to read this. It's going in my Kindle in my library. (laughs) Way to go, Regina. That was fucking hot. Okay, so again, this was Snow White and the Wicked Queen, Chapter 1. And she's got four books in this series available now. So look for Snow White and the Wicked Queen, Regina Grimm. It's also available on Amazon Kindle. Four books. And Snow, the complete erotic series, is coming in paperback in late 2022. I will put all the links down in the podcast notes so that you can easily find Regina's yummy, intense, sexy, erotic fairy tale books about Snow White, the story of Snow White. What a fun thing this is. Okay. Woo. That was a hot sucker. All right. Now let's get on to the interview. Are you ready? Let's talk to Regina, Regina Grimm. Okay, everyone, I have a really fun, exciting guest today, and I'm really excited to talk with her and find out what she does. It's a really fun topic that I find very interesting. Her name is Regina Grimm. She is an indie erotica author specializing in erotic fairy tales and fantasy. She has four books out plus an anthology. Welcome, Regina. Thank you. It's so exciting to be here. I'm excited to talk with you too. I, I'm so curious what brought you to the fairy tale aspect of erotica. I mean, erotica can go, there's just so much out there that you can do. What brought you to choose this particular focus? Well, it's really, it's my journey with reading erotica that probably sparked. So the first erotic book I ever found, and I was, I was 17. I was a little young probably, <laughs> but uh, graduated high school. I moved, uh, I moved to England and I was, what well, was working over there and accidentally stumbled onto Exit to Eden by Anne Rice. Oh, and yeah. Under one of her pseudonyms, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was just enthralled. The idea that sex could be something other than, you know, high school fumblings was <laughs> just fascinating for me. And through that book, I started looking for more things and ended up getting linked to the, the well, at the time, it was the Sleeping Beauty trilogy. Mm. And so that piece, it stuck in my mind. I mean, that's, well, I won't date myself, but it was a few years ago. <laughs> sure. And it kind of stuck with me. So last, I've been wanting to be a writer, wanting to publish since I was, well, five, I think. Mm-hmm. Not erotica, but right. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I started like looking into it more in about 2020. So, you know, everything got shut down and having that extra time. But 
everything I heard was like, well, start with erotica, see if that's something you like, you know, sometimes it sells, it can be, it can be interesting. And I've been, my whole life is kind of built into a very sex positive place where I studied uh, sexuality and relationships in university. Mm. And my, yeah, I wasn't going to end up a sex therapist and instead <laughs> went into the corporate world in something completely different. Uh-huh. Uh, but last year, well, in 20, 2020, my mom passed away and oh. it was like the catalyst, you know, okay. yeah. they say that when you hit around 40, there's this moment where you realize the universe isn't screwing around. If you want to do something, get your shit together and do it now. Right. And watching that, you know, like watching my mom pass away, it was like, there's, there's no time. There's no time to wait. Right. So that right. was it. I put paper and wrote four books. Just nice right together. So it was kind of, it was accumulation of those two things that there was no more time to wait. And this lingering memory of that empowering feeling of reading something erotic and, you know, kind of out of the norm. And it was familiar enough with the Sleeping Beauty story that it still rung this kind of nostalgic bell, but I was an adult. I mean, 17 going on 18, as adult as you can get at that age. (laughs) Right. So that was really it. It was that, that thrilling combination of something familiar and this entire world opening up long season. (laughs) Well, I am so sorry for your loss. That's just really rough, but you can see how that, yeah, that would, you know, just kind of jar you and be like, it just makes it real. We're we're all, we're all going to pass away. And we all, yeah, yeah, finite time, finite time. And some have much smaller than others. And so that's also a, just something that strikes you and, I can see why that would light a fire under you. So that, you know, at least you had something good come out of that, which is always, that's a rough place to be. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing that you latched on to that. And I didn't even, when I first started writing erotica, I didn't even know that that was a thing, that people wrote that. And I just think it's just fascinating. Thanks. I mean, it was one of those, um, I think something that happens, especially in our culture, there's been this, misconception of what fairy tales were for. Yes. They be warnings and yes. education and stay out of the forest and don't trust strangers. And they were dark. They were full were of very dark violence, cannibalism, infanticide. Like they were not pretty stories. No. Oh, you get into some of the I mean sleeping well, even Snow White, the original Snow White her stepmother thinks she's eating Snow White's liver and lungs. Right. And I mean, that's a piece that, you know, Disney whitewashed it. And they took these brutal stories and made them very tidy and clean. And Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, those were a big part of my childhood. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's just there's entire rich folklore history that we've brushed under the carpet and it's something that's worth exploring. It's worth going back to those roots and, you know, the, the origins of our our heritage and saying, okay, these were, these were brutal people in brutal times trying to share very important messages and to make them all about, you know, good girls get the prince loses some of that value. Mm -hmm. So I took that and then opened the doors, like, because the reality is there's adults in stories, adults have sex the end. I don't know. <laughs> so right. Exactly. <laughs> it makes me think of how, you know, years and years ago, throughout all of history, you know, there's been 
also a layer of porn. Like there's porn before there was porn. And there's art and there's all these things, even on like cave walls and stuff. You see pictures of people having sex. So we've kind of like said, oh, no, that's bad. That's bad. It's been around literally forever. Forever. Mm -hmm. And same with the fairy tales. They were, they were, yeah, like you said, they were tools for the culture. Be like, hey, you do this, something bad can happen to you. And then we made them all like candy. (laughs) It's kind of crazy. I forgot my icebreaker question. Okay. My icebreaker question is, since we all talk about sex all the time and erotic authors are pretty open, I love to ask, what is your favorite sexual position and why? We'll be back after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by the Spring Cleaning Champions, Manscaped. This season, make sure the man in your life grooms his carpets and his drapes with the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Have him clear out that winter bush with Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 and watch his confidence bloom like the springtime flowers. Embrace the season and have him join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. With our special offer, go to manscaped.com and use code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, for the 20% off and free shipping. Have you ever been doing some oral pleasure and got some hairs in your mouth or your teeth? Well, (laughs) Manscaped can help with that. Try being clean-shaven for spring cleaning. After he uses Manscaped, you can say, hmm, let's get some busy with some spring fever in the bedroom. Try out Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra. It is an amazing trimmer that features two interchangeable heads, one for taking a little off the top and the new foil blade to go smooth. If you want to go smooth for spring cleaning, make sure you try out Manscaped products. Bring on those smooth skin sexy slaps in the bedroom. And how do you do that? Use Manscaped products to shave clean down in your pubic area. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, all caps at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code RUIN at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in his pants, right? In your pants if you're a man. (laughs) Spring clean your groin area. Try smooth. Try it with Manscaped. Oh my goodness. I love it. (laughs) I feel like it's one of those things that like I had a favorite sexual position when I was younger, pre-marriage. And honestly, I'm embarrassed. I don't even know what it's called, but it was like (laughs) guys sitting on the couch because I don't know. I had Uh a lot more sex on the couch when I was younger (laughs) and straddling him, facing him. I found it very, it's kind of like reverse cowgirl or wait, cowgirl. Maybe but, cowgirl, I would think it's just that they're sitting instead of laying down. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I felt like it was different because it was so intimate. You were very much face to face. I had control. There was something about being in the living room, it was a little dirty. And yes. Yeah. So that now we have kind of a rhythm, you know, we, we have this <laughs> one position, we call it handy sex because frankly, we're both adults and mature. We both work out a lot. So we're both in pain a fair bit. Um, 
And so, yeah, my husband tends to be on his side. I tend to be on my back with my legs thrown over him. And it's just, it works. It's very, very effective and kind of <laughs> low-key. So that's our Wednesday night. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds perfect. Just needs to be good, fun, and get the job done. <laughs> now I want to know yours. Oh, my gosh. It's so hard to pick. I definitely like, you know, everybody says that the whole missionary is is vanilla. I don't really think it is. You know, you can see each other's faces. And mm-hmm. for me, if my legs are bent, it just hits my clit in the exact right good spot, you know. And I also really love doggy too. When I was younger, I was a little bit apprehensive about doggy. And now I absolutely love it. So I think that's interesting how, as you said, it changes throughout time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a piece where our culture has this way of making sex something specific and something it has to be. And unfortunately, porn plays this, and I mean, porn, like video porn quite specifically, mm-hmm. there's this element to it where it has to be wild and crazy and vicious. And I don't know, there's this kind of rhythm to it where the expectation for sex to be good is it has to be porn, like video porn. Right, right. And Every once in a while, you date one of those guys who has to get your leg in the position because that's all they've ever seen. And you're kind of like, no, there is no camera down there. I like bend that way. So I I think whatever it is that you find that that works and it works with, you know, the couple or whatever that's involved, (laughs) you find your rhythm, right? And not that you should just kind of only do the rhythm, but yourself permission for it to become something new and different sex isn't static and it's not just penetration so that whole that whole other world of anything that requires a lot of foreplay is kind of good in my books I think there's value of getting to a place where you just can't not have sex and that like hunger and desperation is just ratcheted up yeah Uh, there's so much value in that and I think it gets lost in the way our culture portrays sexuality as as a sin or as right. only for procreation or yep. something this ex- exhibitionist I don't know mas- mas- misogynistic I mean there's just so many pieces that you get unpeeling those layers honestly the older I get the more frustrated I am listening to stories of especially young women because it's still it's something I talk about a fair bit yeah women they struggle they struggle with the expectation of if I'm not a porn star, I'm not sexual or dealing with the guilt and shame that comes with our society and slut shaming and religion. And it is a complex and difficult issue that I'm excited. Honestly, people like you and me, we're having this conversation. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Just such a sex negative culture. And it's just, everybody has this shame. Everybody thinks it's bad and everybody thinks porn is bad. I mean, maybe some porn is bad, but still everything's negative. And yeah. and our, our sex ed is just crap. I mean, it's just crap. You know, I mean, you know, when I remember when I was in school, there was really no mention of a clit. Like it just didn't exist, right? Yeah. <laughs> there was there was no such mention of it because it didn't talk it didn't wasn't necessary for procreation. So therefore, they didn't talk about it. And so I think things are getting better where young people are are more knowing about the clit and how to please women. But in the past, I feel like the focus has always been on the man, the ejaculation, the 
you know, th- this is how a baby is made. And then there's yeah. been no like focus on pleasure or even mention of pleasure. No, it's so true. Our I mean, yeah, like our sex ed, when we were little, it was, you know, periods and right. that was grade three or four, which, okay, <laughs> fine. And I think even then erections came up in that conversation, but uh-huh. pleasure and intimacy and relationships didn't. Right. And then you're right sex class and I, my, my, uh, my science prof our biology professor, he was an incredible, wonderful man, but he was so embarrassed mm. talking about sex. I kid I, you not. He would purple that whole week with his <laughs> notes on the floor and read the notes out. Right. So our lesson was a biology lesson. It was, you know, this fits there and a baby comes out. But right. when you teach people driving, you don't teach them, okay, when you crash your car, <laughs> this is what you do, which as a teenager, pregnancy was a car crash. Right. You know, like whatever happens. And I mean, that's that's a cultural, that was my cultural experience. Mm-hmm. Don't get pregnant and don't get a don't get the VD, right? Like don't don't get right. catch anything and don't yes. get pregnant. Yep. But when you teach someone how to drive, the first thing you do is like you teach them how to put on their seatbelt and then you teach them to pay attention. You teach them to drive well. You teach them to be considerate of other people, essentially consent and following the rules and, yes. and paying attention to what's going on around you and caring for yourself and everyone in the car and everyone on the road. Yeah, That's the lesson as we should be teaching sex ed. That piece is so missing. It's so, if we taught driver's ed, the way we teach sex ed, people wouldn't drive. Oh, you're so right. That is an amazing analogy. And that is just so true. And it's because of that embarrassment and that shame that people feel like they can't talk about. There's just, you know, obviously he was doing as minimalist as he could possibly do, which is harmful. Ends up being harmful for people and these young people. So it's just... So I love that we're living in this time where people like us can create content and put it out there. And yes, some of it might be over kids' heads, but it's still, it's out there and it's out there for people. And it's just such an amazing time to be living where we can actually publish this stuff and not, you know, never before in history has this happened where people can just publish stuff and put it out there. So true. And I think that's, um, I mean, with the the historical deep dive I've done into erotic content on all levels, honestly, mostly through the sex museums in very Uh liberated environments. Um, There's a beautiful one in Prague and the one in Amsterdam. I just loved. Oh, Amsterdam. Um, Yeah. Yeah. They're very, they're more sex positive, I think. But to recognize that like people used to self-publish erotica a fair bit, but it was so hidden and so sneaky yeah, and okay, sure. so subversive, right? It was it was so much behind the scenes. And so again, the shame piece around it, where mm-hmm. heaven forbid they caught you in one of those photos, or <laughs> especially women, right? Um yes. or gay men. Like gay men, that was a whole other oh, women yeah. were shamed. Gay men were potentially killed, you know, it was right. or jailed. Yes. And I think I'm very, you're right. This is such an incredible time to be living because no, we're not there yet. We've got a long way to go. Yes. Um, but I think we're as far advanced sexually as we ever have been. Right. Uh, with possibly, of course, there's pockets of history who got it a lot better than we did, who honored, honored sex as a, as sacred, as a joining of two people, as something to be celebrated. And of course that got taken away through a lot of different steps 
as society evolved and changed. And we're still dealing with a lot of those ramifications, mm-hmm. but there's space now for, for more and different. And I think that's the piece where I watched a TED talk that actually I ended up feeling a lot of shame because mm-hmm. the conversation was about the harmful impact of pornography. Okay. And pieces of that I really took to heart because you're right. Like there was, it was an entirely separate space telling me what I should think is sexy. And a lot of that got ingrained. And I mean, again, reading Exit to Eden and well, the story of, oh, the Sleeping Beauty trilogy was exposed to a lot of S and M probably too early, probably during my formative years. And it took me down a fairly dark path for a long time. Um, So that piece, while it was eroticism and while it was fascinating in a whole other world, and there's nothing wrong with S&M or any of that exploration, it never occurred to me until much later that it didn't just have to be that and that there was this entire world out there of sensuality and Mm. contact and touch and gentle, kind love, as well as whips and chains and being hanged from the ceiling and all the rest of it. Right. All that drama. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. It can be, it can be so much. And I think like you were saying with people self-publishing and publishing erotica, we're getting to hear more stories and porn has its place and S&M has its place and all the rest of it. It just can't live in isolation as the only option. Sexuality has to be it should be explored the way the whole world is. We, there's not just one country. There's not just one culture. There's yes. a whole world out there. So find what you like and love and find your culture, your community, your your tribe, your person, and then carry on and ideally exploring right through to the end because it's such a huge part of being a human. Yeah, it's kind of like an onion. An onion doesn't grow one layer. They grow in multiple layers and they get more and more layers and bigger and bigger as time goes on. So everything's an onion. <laughs> Everything is an onion. I love it. So true. I don't know why that just popped into my head. <laughs> but it's kind of true. I mean, you know, there's just never just one layer of anything. And if it was, wouldn't that be kind of boring? Yeah. And monotonous and I don't, it's just like a relationship, right? And it's such a huge part, especially in, pardon me, our culture. Well, my culture, let's say, I generally I've experienced is you can go outside of your relationship and your marriage for almost anything but sex. Right. That's very taboo. It takes a lot of conversations or a lot of trust or whatever that may be. And Mm -hmm. while partners are okay with you having, you know, friends and and conversations and going outside for emotional support and finding filling those gaps in your relationship with other people, when it comes to sex, it's so much more serious. And that piece where if you can't explore and continue to to have those conversations with your partner or partners or whatever, and again, it limits you, right? There's this one little piece of pie. And because there's so much shame and guilt and complexity around people's experience with sex, we're not trained how to have great conversations about it either. Right. How do you you start the conversation? How do you get vulnerable enough to say, you know what? Our sex life isn't everything I want because that can be, we're not trained how to even receive that information. If you're with someone for 10 years and they come to you and say, you know what? 
our sex life is boring to me, it can be such a brutal blow because of everything you've had to wade through, wade through to get oh, to yeah. this moment. Right. But, and there can be yeah. offense taken too, you know, oh. I mean, it, and it hurts and it's not even meant that way, but it's it, just a reality. Be, yeah. Because right? we're all different and we're not all going to have the exact same fantasies. And we shouldn't again. We boring. shouldn't exactly. Yeah, it is, it's true though. I mean, think about that. We we can pay to go get a massage done that touches all parts of our body, and that's okay. But it's not okay to go and have your sexual organs touched. So you can feel good for people touching your body, just not your sexual organs. It's, it's interesting how that's developed in our mm-hmm. society. It's it's a weird thing, really. Like there's this wall, you know. <laughs> this is okay, and that's not. Yes. And literally, and and then when people get all huffy and puffy about it, recognizing that other cultures have drawn that private line in yes. very, very different places. Yes. So what makes our line any more appropriate than lines where, you know, you show your ankle and you're stoned to death or right. you show your face and there's ultimate shame. We can't, I mean, that's the piece where I'm so grateful that we've traveled because the more cultures I see, the more I realize that our way is just a way. It's yes. not the right way. It's not the only way. Other people shouldn't be changed to meet our ways. And we shouldn't have to change to be anything else. But if we understand that there are options and choices, and there's no wrong way to live a life, there's this permission created where we can now explore and figure out, okay, well, what do I want? What do I need? I don't have to be what my mother said I should be. Good girl doesn't have to mean what I was raised with. You know, don't say what you want because you're selfish. That did not serve me growing up. <laughs> no, you know, exactly. You know, speak, yeah. tell people your needs, but yeah, don't be selfish. And that's like two different. Yeah. And what yeah, I think is was- funny too, the whole, you know, the whole Christian thing, now that I'm going to focus on religion, but that's only a man and a woman. Well, do you know... You really think about how many poly amory and poly poly relationships are in the Bible of people. Oh my goodness. <laughs> think of, uh, you know, man has like six wives or something. You know what I mean? It's like someone has like pulled that out of the Bible and said it's only men and women. If you look in the Bible, it's not. <laughs> it's just, it's crazy, isn't it? It's a crazy what gets picked out and said, okay, this is the norm. So this is the norm this century. This is what's going to happen. This is the norm. And who the fuck says that? And why do we have to listen to them? That is so true. He with the biggest hat gets to tell you what you do with your body. <laughs> right. And again, I mean, like spirituality and religion, like whatever floats your boat, go do that again, because I'm a very big believer in personal responsibility, which I don't mm-hmm. know that everybody, that's not been my experience, that it's a common thing in modern culture. But personal responsibility. So you do what you want, but you take the consequences and you own up to that crap mm-hmm. and figure out what you want and go for it. As long as you're not hurting, harming, or destroying other people. And I guess, you know, like following the laws because we live in a law abiding society. Right. Just go do it, man. Like, and if it's not with the person you're with, find the right people, have the right conversation, be honest, be consensual, and then carry on. It's, we get this one life. And it is shorter than we think. It goes faster than we believe. And if we're constantly waiting for someone else to tell us it's time to speak up, you die waiting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we also need to shed this judgment. Oh, my God. The judgment. The judgment is just brutal. Yeah. Yeah. And what scares me about 
a lot of where we are currently where, you know, I really appreciate where our culture is going with acceptance and, mm-hmm. and a lot of that great stuff. Unfortunately, it's currently being delivered with more judgment than I've ever seen in my lifetime where so, and people are scrambling. Oh, you can't just judge the judger and call it fair. Mm-hmm. I think we have to take away that piece and be like, if you seriously want to live in a world with no judgment, let go of your judgment. Right. Be that advocate. Be the person. Because that's the thing. If you just point the finger in another direction, the finger's right. still pointing and nothing has changed. Yeah. And it can't demonize any group just because of the way they look, their color, their race, their social and economic status, including rich white men. That's and that exactly. I think is the piece where we've lost focus, where it's like, okay, if what our goal is, is to have everyone accepted, we can't keep excluding on race, culture, and economic status, any oh, yeah. direction. Absolutely. And that's not an easy pill to swallow. It's not. And yeah, I think the people who are in the power of these things, they're just, they're just being bullies. They're pushing their beliefs on everyone. And it's just, yeah, exactly what you just said. I think that's just spot on. Yeah, it's a scary. It's not a popular opinion and I've been read for it before, but it's one of mm. those things where I'm like, again, I'm not saying to follow anyone else's, anyone else's rules. I'm saying follow your own. But if part of your values is to eliminate or minimize judgment, I, I believe that you have to be the, the beginning of that choice yeah. and judging is judging. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's just let everybody be who they're going to be and quit thinking that you know everything and, <laughs> just drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a work in progress, you know, we're not going to get is. it right all the time. You know, exactly. some days you're going to be, I mean, I know there's mornings I get up and my husband's the least, uh, he's the least sexist, least racist. He grew up and lived in such a diverse culture, which I'm from a small town. So I don't even mm. understand to be surrounded like in a, in a commune with people who have all different beliefs and to live with people of, you know, he lived with a drag queen and like people of all oh, different wow. races and nationality. He's been painfully poor. He's been an executive. He's lived all the lives, but wow. he's a straight, cisgendered, very masculine white man. Nice. And things will come out of his mouth and I get instantly offended. And I realized had my girlfriend said it, it wouldn't be offensive. Uh, Had almost anyone else said it, but there's this stigma attached to you're trying to oppress me. It's just expressing an appearance and, or sometimes just something that is very, very neutral, but I've been conditioned to take offense because he's a straight white cisgender male. Isn't that really, it's really kind of scary. You know, to think about the same exact thing could come from out of someone's mouth and it is taken so differently based on their their characteristics. It's almost disturbing, honestly. I mean, but you're right. We're conditioned. We are. And if we were to change any of those variables, it would be it'd be horrible if it was coming from someone of a different nationality and I was judging them based on that. Yes, a horror of that, and it's my husband. You know, right. the man who stood by me, and for everything that he is and everything that he isn't, he's such a huge part of my life. And yet, I, you know, we all walk with those. We walk with our monkeys. So mm-hmm. whatever those mm-hmm. monkeys are, you can spend your whole life unpacking them and trying to take them off your back. But there are days <laughs> it jumps up there, and it's the one doing the talking, right? So, right. Um, I think you get up, you do the best you can. And I've been called overly optimistic, but I truly believe everyone does that. They get up in the morning, they do the best they can 
with the tools they have available to them. And some days you don't have a lot of tools. You open your toolbox and there's like one spoon and that's all you've got to work with today. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. It's not, and it's not easy, but I just don't think anyone gets up in the morning and is like, how can I make everyone else's life a living hell? (laughs) Right. We're just doing the best we can. Exactly. That's so true. So true. So I never asked you yet. So, so what topic, so each of your four books, are they each focused on a different story or do you build on the same story for your family? This, this series of four, it started off as one book and it is, it's the Snow White story, but kind of from before most people know it. So Mm -hmm. a little piece, the first book is just getting to know the queen um, Mm. and her, we get into not her backstory. That's a separate book that I am writing. Okay. But kind of how she got incorporated from the, from Snow White's mother's death and her birth to mm-hmm. kind of two years later when now she has this stepmother and their relationship begins with essentially hatred and jealousy. Okay. Okay. So that's the first book. And then the next three run out the rest of the story kind of as we, as well, as we know it, but I took some very big leaps in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we get yeah, Snow White and the Seven Thieves because I was more comfortable mm, with, yes, I with saw that. that. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, again, because I only know what I know and I wanted to be respectful of everybody. And uh, I didn't know how to do that well with the original title. So I felt like changing it to Thieves, I had um, right from more honest place and a Mm -hmm. a place where I could get a little deeper into it. And I, that's really where it went. So, but I did take, I took a lot of the, the structure out of the original book or sorry, the original tale with like the three the three mur- was well, really four murder attempts, one with the the huntsman, and then the queen came after Snow White three times, which again, that Disney took that out. And the death of the queen, which not, I mean, spoiler alert, I guess, but really it happens in every fairy tale. The bad guy All has right. to die. Yep. That that's came, true. That was, yeah, that was the original process as well. And I've had people like, oh my God, I can't believe so brutal. <laughs> that's what it was. Like, I didn't, I didn't make that up. I just wrote it. Exactly. <laughs> Because <laughs> we're all conditioned to think of it as Disney movies, you know, it's... Yeah. But I, well, I can see how that would really give you a lot of leeway too, though, changing it from the seven doors to the seven thieves. Like that's going to give you a lot more places to go and even eroticism, I would imagine. Is that kind of where... I, I mean, I think so. That's where I was headed. I The characters really grew out of seven men that I've known in my life, seven men that were really important to me. So hmm. I had those pieces that I could could weave in and uh yeah it gave me it gave me an opportunity to to deal with the fact that why are these seven men living in the forest why are they why are they the way they are where did they come from what are their backgrounds and got uh instead of being kind of exiled for being physically different i was able to to take them to really really dark places and the reality that we're all scarred we're all suffering and how do you overcome if you've never it's been a really long time since you've been in contact with someone of the opposite sex and that's your that's your standard, that's the direction you go. Mm-hmm. What do you do when suddenly someone's <laughs> thrown into the midst that has the potential and willingness and open heartedness and you know, just this the that place where you can explore each other and and dive into healing old wounds and recovering from things and addressing stuff like like, I mean, really mental health on some level. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of, that was it. So it was, it's 
right now, like the, the anthology takes us from the introduction of the queen and Snow White's birth right through to the end of the story. And then of that, two more books, hopefully in 2023, are coming. So that's like this, the queen's origin story and the background of Snow White's parents. Because honestly, mm. I kind of fell in love with them. They weren't there very long, but <laughs> they, they got they got kind of under my skin. So I wanted to, I wanted to kind of peel the layers back on that one. Bust sure. out that onion. Yeah. It's very interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I think that what is cool is that you're taking a story and then you're, you're molding it. And what's really cool about that is, you know, someone else is going to take that same fairy tale and do something completely different. So it's it's oh, very yeah. interesting. Thank you. Yeah, it was. Uh, that's very true. And I think fairy tales have that ability to be something mm-hmm. like, what's the lesson you need to take out of this? And I mean, I think with erotica, there's a different complexity of lessons, but mm-hmm. the possibility of of sensual exploration, the possibility of, well, even that, like in a lot of the reading I've done, I'm always so boggled and doing my own work around women and characters, female characters specifically, who are so sex positive that they never pause to think, oh, geez, maybe I shouldn't, or, oh, does this make me a slut? Or there's, there's <laughs> that narrative seems to be missing so often. And it's mm-hmm. something that I struggled with for so long mm-hmm. that you know, it's, it's a conscious effort to be like, no, I'm allowed to do this. This is my body. I have the right to explore it. I am that it's become a mantra rather than a reality so far because yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to give a character that saw power in sex. And I wanted to create a character who was exploring sexuality from ignorance and innocence Mm, without any of that garbage on top of her. If, If I hadn't been raised with the, you know, the narrative that our culture put on everyone and then us and then my own family dynamics, what would my exploration of sex been like and how would it have been different? So that was kind of where I went with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting too, because like you can do Snow White and it makes sense. You can take pieces of her personality, the, the innocence, like you said, and it's already yeah. like set in our brains because she is an innocent character, even in the Disney movies, you know, she's just this innocent creature. And Mm -hmm. apparently she was in the original, I'm assuming in the original fairy tale, was she also, you said you researched that, was she portrayed as an innocent back in the the way old forms of the uh, fairy tale? Very. But what's interesting is this, the original story, I read the translated version because like my German is atrocious. I think they have four German words. Right. Um, The story as it's, as it's told is really not, Snow White story, it's much more about the queen. Mm. So that I found really interesting. But in the original tale, Snow White's a child, like six, and still gets married. (laughs) So the fact that her stepmother is trying to kill her, thinks she's eaten her, she runs out into the forest and just happens to survive. And then these multiple murder attempts of a child. Wow. And then she dies and then she gets married off. And again, there's no, there's not massive amounts of time that pass consciously in the original tale. So again, when people get mad and like, oh, well, you're destroying a classic. And I, I don't believe that I am. (laughs) And also I believe that there's, there's room in this world for all different kinds of stories. But we took, if we looked at something and thought that the original tale was sacred, the evolution of it to be something that would be palatable to our current culture or, you know, culture a hundred years ago. Right. That's, that's just as much destruction. It's 
and yet there's there's room and a place for it it's a it was a beautiful i mean it's a beautiful movie and still there's there's a lot of value there's a lot of uh, creativity that went into into the disney version and i don't want to discount any of that and still recognize that that, that wasn't what it came from right well, yeah. that's interesting because yeah some people might think that the disney was the original like no 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 isn't that interesting <laughs> A lot of not of yeah, Disney wasn't so much with the original <laughs> at the beginning. Or, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Yeah, I, I've talked to other people that feel authors that have done such things, and they just talk about how Disney just totally like just totally changes it. And they'll take it's like a almost completely different story, but it's sort of the same story. But they've just completely changed it or completely ignored portions of it. You know, like. <laughs> I guess that's yeah. their liberty they're interpreting too. But the problem is, it's so prevalent in our society that there are people out there who actually think maybe Disney was the original. I, mean, I hope they aren't oh. <laughs> that ignorant, but you know. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to destroy anything if your listeners are like, Disney, like, ah, Disney created that, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> in charge of the mouse and the duck. <laughs> I know, right. <laughs> oh man <laughs> cartoon is cartoon and cartoon is cool in its own way but yeah it's not it's not reality we know that we shouldn't think that that was the original oh, i don't know i think that if people actually read the originals like you said they would just be like oh my gosh this is like a horror this is like horror wow. they, yeah. i mean in, in a lot of ways they really were but if we consider Again, the the time where there was a reality of being eaten by a wolf if you walked right. into the forest, and yes. and being vain on that level was was dangerous and harmful. Right. Um, there's, I mean, again, there's kind of there's messages in it that may have really served to protect the people in the villages and taking care of children, and you know, scared you just enough not to do the really really dangerous things. True. Um, yeah, there was. I don't know. It's and again, like looking at it from from our our current lens, it's it's out of context. Yes. And honestly, on so many levels, so is so is Disney. I mean, we know now so much better. We watch these, you know, shows from even the '90s and the yeah. stuff that I was raised on, and now you watch it and you're just horrified by <laughs> the way that women are portrayed and the way yeah. people of different sizes are portrayed. Like all of that. It's one of those things that do we throw out the baby with the bathwater? Do we mm. throw out old art because it's not culturally sensitive to our current sensibilities? Or do right. we look at it with the knowledge we have now, the compassion we've learned for our more ignorant or, you know, different selves and recognize that, I mean, again, creativity is creativity. And I think it's one of those things where it is a lot easier to sit in the bleachers and point fingers and mm -hmm. demand better of others than it is to be in the arena, putting yep. your heart and soul on the page or the, the screen or whatever. And recognizing that if you're going to be public, if you're going to put stuff out there, it's going to be judged. Yes. Now, who matters more, the artist or the judge? Right. Yeah. And, but I think too... <laughs> We can't ignore where we've been. Yeah, maybe we didn't like that stuff, but we can't. And we don't, you can't ignore anything from history, even though it's not, it doesn't fit in today's standards. I mean, we can't just like shove it off and be like, oh, no, we can't talk about that. It doesn't exist. It does exist. It did exist. And it shaped us and it shaped our culture. And we just got to deal with that. That's just the way it is. 
got to recognize where you came from. And I think that's the piece where people shouldn't, you know, you don't scream at a child because they're not yet a man. Right. Nor do you scream at an adult for not being what they were as a child or for not doing better before <laughs> they knew any better. Right. We, we do the best you can with what you know and do mm-hmm. better when you know better. And I, I think that that shame piece comes of expecting perfection in mm-hmm. every iteration. That's not how humans evolve. We huh. have to, I mean, and that's the thing is I think all through history, people have done the best they could with what they had. Their toolbox right. was limited to what they had. And also recognizing that as this has been, every single generation has yeah. looked at their parents and the past and said, hey, this was wrong. You did this badly. You could have done it better. Right. In 10 or 20 or 30 years, we're that same culture who's doing things yes. horribly and being offensive. Mm-hmm. So walking into every day with the compassion of, I'm doing the best I can with what I know. I'm doing better than I did yesterday because I know more. And tomorrow I'm going to do better again because this is only as good as I can be right now. Right. And you have, you hit down the key word there, compassion. You need compassion oh. for past, current, and even future. Absolutely. Yeah. And a There's lot of people don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. No. And some people just aren't big enough or they're, you know, I do feel like some of it too comes from fear, like anxiety, like they're afraid something that really bothers them. Then they just kind of go off on that. And then they just go crazy. Like you hear the whole thing of how, you know, maybe some politician just absolutely cannot stand. He's a man and he hates gay men. And so he just goes crazy over hating gay men. But in reality, he may actually be gay himself. Yeah. Or fears. Fears. Fears and ignorance, right? I think that's the thing is if you don't, if you don't like gay men, don't be a gay man and carry on. You know, I don't like people yelling from a a platform about (laughs) other people where you have no right, you know, and other religions and other cultures and all the rest of it. It's like, you have that choice of, you don't like Mm -hmm. something, don't be it. Right. Leave everyone else alone because nobody's banging on your door telling like, hey, you can't be what you are. (laughs) And the reality is we're all doing it. And we think it's out of defense and protection. Other people's lifestyles and other people's stuff only threatens us if we welcome it in and then get mad about it. Right. Yep. Yep. Or we hate it within ourselves. Maybe we're the same thing. I don't know. It's interesting, but it just, ah, what do we do? What do we do with all of us? Be the, the change, change, right? Yeah. Yes, be the change. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And put that out there. I I think too, what you have is also nice too, because in that genre, you know, sometimes people feel safer having something in a fantasy, mm-hmm. you know, in fantasy world or fantasy, they can read about it. They can experience it in that way instead of actually doing it. And it also can be an introduction to people or it can be their only foray into it, but provide something for people that they may not normally be getting. That is exactly true. And I think that's the piece where, I mean, art is that in so many different ways. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we, you never would have seen someone with a face all all shuffled up if you hadn't looked at a Picasso. Or, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like how often do you see like paint splattered across a wall like Jackson Pollock or it's... yeah, reading Anne Rice. I'm gonna have a really hard time waking up in a fantasy kingdom where I get to be a slave because I was born <laughs> a princess and ended up in a tower. It's <laughs> fantasy is there for for a reason. And I think using our imaginations and telling these stories, reading these stories, exploring these stories, yeah, absolutely. World's safest outlet 
because yes. there's literally nothing at risk. I mean, barring again, barring like the anything you take in becomes part of who you are, be mm-hmm. it food or media or the news or books. So yep. I think there's some, what's the word I'm looking for? Some kind of space where, again, personal responsibility, if you mm-hmm. don't want that image in your mind, maybe don't take it in. Right. Um, but if it's something you're seeking and looking for, but can't safely explore it or or don't have the opportunity, reading it is such a beautiful way because again, it's not the image being pushed into your head. Yes. Words, in my opinion, build the, be the images that I'm making in my head. So my story, it's not just the story on the page, but my perception of it, my interpretation of everything. I know those movies that I play in my mind when I read books are different than what the author wrote than what other people experience because I'm such a big part of interpreting that art. Right. Which is why when you look at books, even movies, you're going to see so many different reviews Yes, because of that whole, whole thing. And not that it's bad to give reviews, but really, and this is something that all of us who are content creators need to remember their review is colored by their life and their experiences and what they've seen, done, read, heard, you name it. And so we need to keep that in mind and not get so ingrained with what they said or didn't say, or they think it sucks, or they think it, even they think it's awesome. But it's hard as a person who creates things to remember that and keep that in the forefront of our brains. It is so true. And I think that is what stops so many people from being the creative entity they want to it's the Mm -hmm. fear of that judgment and again the reality is you make something public it's going to be judged the only way not to be judged is to hide stay in your home and even then you're going to be judged for staying in your home so (laughs) right 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 and you might be miserable if you're not expressing yourself so then you're just wrapping yourself up in this horrible cocoon that might explode someday in a bad way so So yeah (laughs) everything is hard Everything is hard. There's no easy choice, I believe, across the board, right? You know, like on your couch and eating Cheetos, that's an (laughs) easier choice maybe than than going outside or being creative or everything else because there's Mm -hmm. more judgment. But you still end up living your heart because now you're uncomfortable or you know feeling well or there's there's always a price to pay. So no matter what it is you want to do, you have to recognize there's pros and cons to everything and you have to be willing to to pick pick anything and even not picking it's still a choice yeah so true. use your heart yeah yep. and yeah oh the first one star review i got i cried i <laughs> oh, absolutely yeah. cried. and the right. first time i was told that i was like sacrilegious because i was writing erotica around a, a children's story i cried uh, and right it it's just you're going to maybe you cry maybe you're tougher than i am i do not have a thick skin but it didn't stop me. And that's right. in my book, that was all that mattered is that I just didn't stop. People are right. going to hate it. People are going to love it. And that one person who needed to read the story I wrote, even if it was me, that's worth right. everything. Oh, so true. Yes. We just need to not let these one stars get us down because they are just one person and they're the person. The interesting thing about that is too, they were moved enough to write yes. that review. Yeah. And you got under their skin. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I think of it that way. I'm like, yeah. I got under your skin and twisted you enough to take the time to write about my book, even though it was a negative comment. <laughs> yeah. Bring it. 
I mean, is that not the definition of art to elicit emotion yeah. in someone else? And emotion, yes. anything but anything but indifference is emotion. So right. go and make your art. And I mean, there's a lot of this stuff where some of the conversations I've had with with other content creators is, you know, well, you know, what's your process and how do you deal with things like the the academia of writing? Mm-hmm. Right. Again, in my opinion poisons people against the process. Yeah. And it's upsetting because I've heard so many people say, oh, well, once I get my degree in literature, I'll write a book. Or just start writing. Put pen to paper, put your fingers on the keyboard and write your story. Because only gets it only frankly, my opinion, it only gets better once you practice. Doesn't matter how much you know. Yes. I mean, you're going to learn swimming, right? You can watch all the swimming videos and read all the swimming books, but you got to get in the freaking water. There's exactly. no, <laughs> you, yeah. And I think that's the piece where so many people are waiting to be good before they start. And right. if you want to be good, you want to be great. You have to start, learn, adapt, and keep going. And I think that's the other piece that people miss when you start writing any, we start writing a book or doing anything, practicing any skill, you're going to stop. And right. let that be okay. Let exactly. that be something you would rather set on fire than read to someone. <laughs> right. Right. That's the whole thing. You can't edit a blank page. You can't edit a blank page. And my, you know, I'm a big believer in don't edit as you go because yeah. it, it turns off the tab. Right. 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 As if no one will ever read this ever again. And once it's finished, <laughs> then you can go back and reassess and yeah, edit, cut, explore, expand, or if it truly is not something you want, at least you did it. <laughs> right. You know? But you know, even if you think it's sucky and you think it's just the worst thing ever, you could still turn it into something. You could still transform it, take yeah. pieces of it and make a whole new work. So it's never going to be wasted. Not only you're going through that process, like you said, there probably are pieces in there, even if you think it's just trash, that could be used or to grow from a, one specific scene, make a whole new story, a whole new book, you know? Absolutely. So yeah. and then I have to ask you, what's your favorite part though? Do you like to like, you know, dream it up? You like to the dreaded people like to edit. I'm like, who the fuck are you? That's like my worst part. <laughs> Do you like to, are you, and also, are you like a pantser? Are you more of a planner? What, what do you do? I started off as a pantser, hardcore pantser. My first NaNoWriMo, yeah. I, was, I, I remember just remember the nightmare that was I just started writing and I just kept writing and the end of the month came and I had may have been a book will eventually be one I actually have will be under a different pen name though so there's a whole other story there but I found that that evolved so I think the first book I ever wrote end-to-end took three or four years Mm. and it made absolutely no sense because (laughs) I wrote it in chunks I thought of a scene and I wrote the scene and then I remember it was the bravest moment of my life handing this unedited, (laughs) ridiculous manuscript to some friends who I trusted with everything. And their feedback was, we struggled to follow the story. Oh, no. (laughs) It was so kind because, of course, they did. It would be like, so in the spring, and now it's October, and she's 20, and now she's four, because it was literally (laughs) out of order. I just shuffled it. Um, So now I'm more of a planner. I Mm -hmm. tend to kind of jot it out. But again, it's very, uh, very skeletal. I start from a skeleton. And Mm -hmm. then often what I do when I get stumped along the way, 
I mark out, okay, what are the scenes I need next? And right. that, that usually gets me past whatever hump I'm on, where mm-hmm. I just can't, just can't figure out what to do next, write the next scene. And then you weave yes. them together. And generally that's where, that's one of my, my kind of tricks when my brain just stops working. And it's like, I, I don't know where to go from here. Yeah, okay. What's yeah. the next thing that needs to happen? How do I move the story forward? Yeah. But I yeah. find, I mean, whether it's crazy or just what uh, authors are, my, my characters tell me my story. Yeah. I have so many no say that. idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, less so when writing fairy tales, because of course you have oh, this right. golden structure. Uh-huh. You know, it has to be happily ever after. You know, the yep. characters that have to show up along the way, but doesn't mm-hmm. mean they're the only ones. Right. And then sometimes I just kind of drop them into a situation and see what happens. And um, <laughs> I've had that conversation with a lot of friends where I'm like, I'm a little bit scared because this story got so dark so uh, fast. Yeah. Yeah. And can't blame it on these pretend people because they live in my head. So <laughs> right. All that stuff right from here. And yeah. You worry a little and then you carry on. Keep going. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Sometimes I think about that too. And I think some of the things I've thought of writing, you know, even as far as horror, I'm like, wow, that actually came from my brain and that is very dark. But I think that's really true. And I think we have to give ourselves permissions to be like permission to be that's okay. You know, yeah. it's, it's a thought. It's not like you're physically doing this shit. It's, you know, <laughs> your character might be doing it. <laughs> oh, but I've had some I, really, I'm like, geez, I could write horror with that kind of a thought. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. oh, one of the characters I created gave me nightmares for three weeks. Oh, I couldn't. She, she scared me so badly that I kept waking up in a cold sweat because she just flowed out of the darkness at me. Oh. And, like, okay, well, that's, that's probably, and it was in a young adult novel. Okay. Yes. And so yes. When I, uh, it was just, I didn't cut her. She's still in there, but she, <laughs> right. I had to, yeah. my sister's an artist and I asked her to draw some drawings for this, for this oh, book. This other book uh-huh. And she was like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to draw this. I can't picture it. So I drew it very <sighs> poorly. <laughs> Again, I think that's where the nightmares came from because now she, <laughs> her, oh, it's just awful. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, but speaking to the dark mind piece, uh, what one of the creative outlets, and I think why writing is so cathartic for me, and I think whatever creative outlet, be it knitting, crocheting, gardening, writing, art, whatever, Yep. there's this piece where you can process the crap that you're going through. So you're drowning Mm. in shit and here's your opportunity to deal with it in such a healthy, beautiful way. Yes. Uh, I was really struggling in my day job, like a long time ago, different day Mm -hmm. job. And my, my boss every day I woke up and I hated her and I just couldn't get through it. So killed her in a book. (laughs) And it was so satisfying (laughs) because it was, it was just (laughs) awful. And it started this entire, very, very dark story where literally anyone who pissed me off, I'd kill them. And in the most like gruesome, brutal ways, with things like, you know, curling rocks and swarms of bees. And oh my gosh. But it was so, it was better than therapy. Oh my gosh. I just absolutely love that. It is hysterical. But yeah, well, you're, so-and-so is pissing me off. I'm just going to kill them in my story. <laughs> They're having like a meeting across their desk. Oh and like, I'm going to your head off tonight. You're dying tonight. 
they'll be fine tomorrow. I feel better tomorrow. Like, you have no idea. <laughs> That's one of the funniest things I ever heard of writers say. That's pretty damn funny. Man, it's like making me cry. What's that? Just don't act on it. (laughs) Exactly. Keep it on the page, lady. Keep it on the page. (laughs) Like writing the letter that you never send. Just don't send it. Yes, yes. I can totally understand that too. Like when I was a teenager, I was like this horrible, horrible things happened. And I was so depressed. I actually fell into depression. But writing for me... I wrote so much and I wrote so much bad poetry and all this stuff that got me through that brought me, that was like my savior. I mean, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that doing that and buying these cute little, you know, journals that look like I got an agate on them or, you know, flowers on whatever that. (laughs) And then I was writing all this dark poetry in there. That is what got me through. And that is, I, I also was one of those people that wrote as a child, like, I had like a spiral notebook and I'm like writing down a note, you know, a story when I'm like in, I don't know what, fourth grade or something, you know, like same with you. You said you, you wrote. Sounds a little. Yes. And so many writers are like that, which I think is so interesting that what that tells me is that we are born storytellers. Yeah. No matter the genre, you're either a storyteller or you're not. And we are. Even though, yeah, yeah I mean, we just are. That's just, that's just who we are. And even from a young age, that's popping out. Yeah. And I think you can only suppress it for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the piece where, yeah, absolutely. Like dealing with depression, mental illness, Mm. even just anxiety and stress. I think our culture just expects you to, you know, suck it up, tough it out, or go to someone else to seek, to seek, to seek help. Right. But the reality, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, and I don't discount well, no, I discount most of that. Seeking help, I do not discount. I feel like that's right. something we should do more of, not necessarily yep. professional or whatever works, go do that. Yep. But the creative outlet, yes. I think, is so much more valuable than mm-hmm. our society gives it credit for. It's not wasting time. It doesn't need to make money. Nobody right. needs to ever see it. But yes. still, there's something so, so important important about it and yes. we press it down and I was listening I was actually listening to Brene Brown yesterday big fan mm. she was speaking about art scars oh. and rang this bell for me because so I mean some of the research she done showed that children get that there's there's this kind of pandemic which is a great word to use right now right. um people being shamed for bad art uh, come on especially as children that doesn't look like a horse. This is ugly. That's not right. Or a D or an F in art class. Okay. Yeah. What? And writing too, you know, this is bad. This is bad writing. Well, and I mean, cricket or dancing or singing, or you get told you're bad. You stop trying, but the whole point is to try do something. But again, good is overrated. Yeah perfection is the enemy of good mm-hmm. and the process is so much more valuable and important yes. than the product right so when I talk to other writers who are like well how do I get started I'm like babe just you got to start yep. you know what's yep. the story find your way of getting it out there and again whether it's pen to paper whether you're a typer whether you want to turn on your your little microphone or your phone and just record yep. your voice right. there's no Again, tell yourself your story in the shower or go for a drive and talk <laughs> it out. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's no wrong way to do this. And I mean, that was what stopped me writing for a long time. I joined a writer's group, Mm. one of the most painfully toxic environments of my life. I can imagine. Uh, I mean, again, like there was an, it was an older generation almost across the board. Yeah. A lot of politics going on in there. And then one woman was, she owned a publishing company, small little publishing company. And the disdain she had for people who didn't know what she knew blew my mind. Ew. Oh my God. What do you mean your book doesn't have an ISBN? What are you, stupid? Oh, geez. One of those kind of people, huh? Yeah. Mm. And I'm like, how many books have you written? You know, oh, I wrote the (laughs) book on publishing. Literally, she wrote the book on publishing. One book on publishing. (laughs) And it was so accusatory and shameful. I didn't make it past the second chapter. Oh, man. Brutal. And yet, I honor her for writing that one book on publishing. But don't just stop stepping on each other. Stop expecting things. There's value that's not money. You know, yes. they say, oh God, that person's so poor. All they have is money. Right. <laughs> there's there's no value in money if it doesn't, if you haven't got your health, your mind, your your soul, your your passion. Right. What is it? It's just cash. No oh, different than a paper box sitting on the ground. Yeah, exactly. Well, no. So anyway, that's my big rant about creativity. <laughs> <laughs> well, and but you think about that too, like all these kids are there's just, you know, okay, draw something, do something. We're encouraging them to do art. And then also, we also do put constraints on the boundaries. The uh, has to fit in this box. Like, no, you can't, you know, like the things like say a child draws something that's like disturbing, then everybody's all up in arms, ah, you know, when that is just ridiculous. I mean, how about we look at that as imagination? Yeah. Yeah. Or you know what? Involve the involve the person in the process. Because mm-hmm. like I just said, you know, if somebody found the book I wrote where I killed all my bosses and half of the people <laughs> I encountered on a daily basis, I would probably be well worried about, if nothing else. <laughs> but the reality was that was the healthiest thing I've ever done. It yeah. was, it was better than yelling at anybody. It was, it right. was processing. And you know, there's it's a complicated issue because sometimes a cry for help goes unheeded because we're too scared to ask. Right. But there's a difference between leaping to conclusions, assuming, I mean, again, like if that story had gotten out and someone had read it and been like, oh my God, call the police. <laughs> right. That right. Thing has been a very different experience where, wow, it sounds in this like you're really struggling. Do you need anything? Right. Right. I didn't. Okay. But some people do. Right. Yeah. 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 Anyway. (laughs) Well, the process is so important too. Like say you're you're writing all this stuff about a character and it doesn't mean you have to use it. It can be their backstory. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So so people that are afraid to write just need to start. You don't have to assume everything you write is going to be your end product. No. And that takes away a lot of the fear and the anxiety. Like, oh, okay. Oh, I can write this, but I don't actually have to use it. It has the actual book, but it can be, it can be, you know, in the background, it can be their backstory that you don't even touch on other than in other ways within the story, but not the actual stuff you just wrote. So there's no reason to not start is my point. (laughs) I I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard though, because people are, they're fearful. They're they're that There's that judgment. There's that, is anybody going to like this? Is, you know, what if I put this out there and everybody hates it, you know, just... We do want to be liked. We do want people to like our work. We want people to understand our work and where we're coming from, but that isn't always going to happen. And that's something that I think people struggle with. So true. And I think there's this other piece where 
when it's that scary, when it's that uncomfortable, it means that it's important. True. And the stuff that you simply don't care about, and that makes it easier to do, it's that's not the stuff where your heart lies. Your indifference is the opposite of love. That's passionless. Yeah. And love and hate and fear, those guys are, you know, they're all triplets. They're so close together. (laughs) And yeah, if I wake up every morning and it's not scary to go to work and I'm not challenged and I'm not, and I mean, again, scary, not not in a place where you're in harm and blah, but I mean like right. anxious, excited, passionate, nervous, like all of those, those feelings that are so close together, like anxiety and excitement. Mm-hmm. I have a really hard time fixing fixing which one's which, but it means it's important. If mm-hmm. there's some kind of butterflies in my stomach, there's some kind of nervousness or, or passion or fire or feeling it yes. means that it's important. Now it's either yes. important that I step away from it because it's actually dangerous or <laughs> important that I leap into it and get in that discomfort and let it get messy and embrace the fact that it is going to not only be imperfect, but probably a clusterfuck for at least a little while. Right. Yes. And let that, let that mess happen. Because again, if it's, if there's no, if there's no fear, if there's no anxiety around doing it, if there's if it's something that you've dreamt of for a really long time, but you have 10,000 excuses, it's a really good sign that today's the day and now's the time. And just get your shit together and start. It's yep. not going to be perfect. You will not get there today. The time that it takes, I think our culture is really invested in things being fun, quick, and easy. True. This this stuff is not easy. It's not yeah. easy to write a book. It is. I have my little cry fests. And I know that I don't take it as seriously as a lot of people do. Again, a lot of the interviews I've done with these like, you know, oh, how do you make sure your character develops and evolves? And I'm like, they just do it. Maybe they don't do it. (laughs) Maybe it's never going to be, you know, it's not, I'm not Jane Austen and I'm not, but I can, I'm allowed to be where I am and I'm allowed to write what I write. And and if through that process, I will get better I'm going to take that as that's my journey. That's the point. That's the purpose. It's it's not necessarily literature, but it's still important because it's something I had to say. And I have yes. a damn good reason to be here. So <laughs> you don't have to listen, but I'm still allowed to have my voice. That's yeah. right. That's right. And one thing that always pisses me off is when I hear these people say, everything's been written. There's no new stories. I want to slap them upside the face. Because that is not true. It may be similar. It may be on a high level similar, but it's not the same voice ever because there's no two same people in the fucking world. (laughs) What's that like? Okay, well, I'm just not going to get dressed today because everyone's already (laughs) worn clothes. I know, right? Everybody's (laughs) already gone to school, so I'm not going to go to school. Oh my God, yeah. You know, I ate yesterday, so I'm not going to eat today. Come I on. Just hate that. I hate that statement when I hear it. I just want to slap them upside the face. Say, shut the fuck up. Yeah. And it, yeah. It's, it's an excuse. So what's the fear? What's the fear behind that excuse or the fear right. behind the judgment? And again, like if people are really judging, there's some shame in there. There is some yeah. pain or sorrow. There's, there may be envy or jealousy and to, yep. to stand in a place where you really want something, but you don't know how to get there. And someone is making it look easy and someone else is doing it. That yep. is a great thing to latch onto and well, fuck you because here are all the things wrong with what you've done because you've done what I wanted to do. I'm angry because I can't do what you do or I haven't done it yet. Because right. again, 
indifference is is far more a sign that something doesn't matter than passion mm-hmm. and emotion. There's yep. something going on there for them if they come at you with, yeah, excuses, judgment, bitter, just bullshit in general. Like there's, I remember being very little and I was sitting somewhere outside writing and my mom, I don't, she was in some painful place. I remember her like snapping at me and saying like, just don't just sit there, go do something. It crippled my ability to write for a yeah. very long time oh, because I bet. it was doing nothing. Yes. It wasn't the lesson she meant to talk, to teach me. And I do believe we walk with these, I don't know, grimoires full of, mm-hmm. of lessons that nobody meant to teach us. Yes, that's so like, true. We, have to, oh, we need to unpack and deal with and grow through and all the rest of it. Um, but she was in pain. And so mm-hmm. she lashed out. Well, right. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about my writing. There was something else that I was too little to know what was going on for her. But I think when it comes to it, that there's a compassion piece again, recognizing that people's attitudes are their responsibility, not yours. I don't have to change what I'm doing because I make you uncomfortable. I do not need to dim my light because you're blinded. I will be what I am. I will step in my, I will take up my space and I don't need to shrink. I don't need to disappear. I don't need to keep quiet. You can leave. You don't, don't read my book. You know, I had someone say, oh, it was just too steamy. And I'm like, there's a, there's literally a warning (laughs) label on it. It says very steamy. It is like intensely erotic. (laughs) There's 18 plus on everything I do. Yes. It's one of those like, that's again, if you didn't like it, stop reading. I think one of the funniest comments I've ever seen is there's too much sex in that erotica. Like, what the fuck did you just say? Do you realize what you just said? You didn't say there's too much sex in that romance. There's too much sex in that erotica. What the fuck is wrong with you? Dude, if you don't know what the word means, Google it. Like, what is I've actually had a few people say that to me. Well, there's too much sex in it. I'm like, duh. It's yeah, not erotica. Yeah. Look I, it up. Um, like, like, well, there wasn't a lot of character development. I'm like, it's an erotic fairy tale. <laughs> Was there a lot of character development in Snow White on the Disney screen? You know, did you get to know anything other than the stereotypes of the seven dwarves? No. no. Why was the queen so involved with that mirror? You don't know. I mean, (laughs) did you get really upset that there wasn't a lot of character development? And again, like, yes, (laughs) we'll go deep into character development. (laughs) And I think that's the piece where it's like, if someone's judging it, it means you made it real. Yes. Yes. I came to that just that conclusion. I don't know when, at some point in my career, that if if someone leaves a negative comment, I have really gotten under their skin. If there's something they hate or a character they hate, I'm like, oh, that's a triumph, man! That's fucking awesome. Yes, more power. Absolutely. Power. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's such a great attitude. <laughs> Can't say I'm always perfect, but that definitely is my my viewpoint. And I, and I feel like the more and more I do, the more and more that is apparent and obvious and real for me. And I live it. Yes. It's, it is that piece around experience is so important. And again, like, mm-hmm. you know, I know when I first started trying to figure out how to publish, didn't know my ass from a hole in the ground. I did not know what I was yeah. doing, wailing yep. around. I found a couple of books that really, really helped Chandler Bolt's published. Highly okay. recommend. For yeah. I've heard his name. Yep. Yeah, totally worth that. That book was, it just got me from stop to start, I guess was really 
nothing's more important than starting. Right. Finishing is also really important, but starting you can't True. finish if you don't start. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so I, finding these articles, like seven things I wish I'd known when I started, started writing. And I'm like, oh, geez, I better read this. And then the reality was things like half of these lessons that people wish they'd known at the beginning, their experience, they are not someone you, they're not things you can tell someone else. They're things that you need to walk through. And it's great to have, and I mean, I know it's content creation. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of this, like, let me tell you, let me share my expertise. But I truly think that every journey is going to be different. Again, there's no one right way to do this. When people say, oh, you know, you have to edit out loud or you have to edit with a pen or, you know, you have to make sure you write a good outline. Not everybody does. And even when you take the, you know, like Stephen King's book on writing, I think it's literally called On Writing. Yeah, I think um, so. Versus Neil Gaiman's, his like, you know, Create Great Art and that amazing speech that he did. I'm trying to think there's a but you know like all of the writing books that I've read no two say the same thing except true. you have to write if you want to be a writer very true very true yeah and that's the piece that sometimes I think we miss is I call myself a writer and then then there's guilt and shame the days I don't write mm-hmm. but the reality is if I have not quit forever. If Mm -hmm. I have not thrown every pen and paper out and said, that's it, I'm never writing another word. I'm a writer. I am, you know, and, and the whole self-published thing, there's this, there's still stigma. It's, I think it's shifting, Mm -hmm. but like, Oh, but you're just self-published. And I'm like, hell yeah, because I wanted Mm -hmm. to own this thing inside and out. I wanted to own its messy guts and gore. I wanted to own every stinking word. And when it's time for me to go back and make it better, I wanted the rights to do all of that. And yes. that's why I did what I did. And not have to fit in the publisher's box. No, I am too weird for that. <laughs> <laughs> and I erotica is love- really difficult to do because they're oh. so specific about what they want and don't want. Yeah, words you can't use, phrases you can't say, things you can't, topics you can't dig into. No, mm-hmm. I want to let my freak flag fly. And I Exactly. No. <laughs> don't censor this. This is, this is valuable. This is awesome. And you know, there's someone out there going like, Oh my God, if she can do it. And I'd much rather that. Oh yeah. I used to, I used to dance. I used to perform. Well, I was a burlesque dancer and it was amazing. I loved it. It was very empowering. It helped me heal some like really deep body issue wounds. Nice. Yeah. Highly recommend it. Like there's a lot of different art forms that allow people to kind of to, you know, work through again, mental health stuff, body stuff. There's a whole ton of stuff. Go right. be creative. Yes. But the piece that was the most valuable to me, because I am, I am not, I'm not, I'm not thin. I'm not perfect. I'm very tall. Like I'm, my body type does not fit the normal stereotype of, you know, uh, cover mo- model beauty. Right. But when I got up on that stage and generally I did comedy stripping, which was, I really enjoyed and it's, it oh. fits my personality. Sure, sure. Afterwards, people would come up to me and the best compliment they could be is watching you made me feel better about me. Nice. And that was so powerful because that was the piece that 
to get up on stage and take your clothes off and dance around and make be ridiculous or 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 be sexy. And I think that was the piece was I I struggled too hard to be sexy. So funny it was mm. easier for me. Right. Sure. But to have we forget the impact we have on other people. Yeah. And finding a way of expressing yourself is so important because it holds space for other people to do the same thing. Yes, yes, totally, totally. No, and not that it's your obligation or responsibility no. to impact others, but you do it whether you like it or not. Yeah. And when you see these, the the feedback, when you you hear the reviews, when someone just tells you like, holy Christ, you're brave. Um, right, right. Why not foster a, a culture of, bravery of acceptance yes. of I mean and a non-judgment with with some with some little caveats because one of the first reviews I ever got was this is not a good book. <laughs> what was shocking is that at first was crippling because it was yeah. the first chapter of the of the sports section book. And mm. I was like, can't carry on. But then I went back right. and read it, taking uh-huh. her back into she was more specific than that. She gave me very concrete pieces of work, of things I could work on. Okay. And she was not only right, she was incredibly right. And when I dug back into it and applied, I mean, really, it was, you tell too much, you have to show more. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It took it from kind of an experiment to, to a book and a, right. a story I would want to read, not just a story I finished telling. Right. So... Sometimes people are just assholes. Sometimes they're in a lot of pain and sometimes hurtful things. And I'm using that term very loosely. The hurtful things they say are the most important thing you can hear today. True. Um, And I don't know if it's a tough in your skin thing. And frankly, I'm a big believer. And if something pisses you off, go throw your tantrum. Ideally, go in the bathroom, close and lock the door so you're safe (laughs) and they're safe. Get on the ground and lose your shit. Yeah. Yeah. And then once that's done... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> take the value leave yeah, the and shit and then go kill them the off value. in a story yeah go and, <laughs> go and write a better story or kill them off in the story people. yeah <laughs> it just is so it's one of those like i think as much as we want everyone to like us and yes that's in yeah. our gut realizing that not only is that not gonna happen but it's a really good sign that you're being authentic and being and putting something out there that's that's important, even if it's just important to one person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shitty reviews, fact of life, and yep. and like you said, like it's a it's a really good sign that you you got under their skin. You made an impact. That's it's so exciting. That's so true. It's so true. So I hate seeing people that are writers, and I hate, hate the word aspiring writer. If you write, you're a writer. Yes. Get rid of that fucking aspiring. Aspiring means you haven't yeah. started. Doesn't mean you haven't yeah. touched pen to paper. You haven't typed a single word in your, your your laptop. Get rid of writers. Get rid of the aspiring. Yes. No. 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 If you're six years old and you write a story, you're a writer. Yeah. If you're if you're only thinking about it, okay, then you can use the word aspiring. But otherwise, cut it out. Yes. Yeah. You don't need to be published to be a writer. You don't need to have finished a story to be a writer. It doesn't need to be more than 10,000 words. There's all of these arbitrary bullshit lines drawn by other people that right. get to box them into successful and box you out. Right. Bullshit. Bullshit. Right. There is, I mean, really, when we look at things like, you know, no, the path I was going to go down was really dumb, but long, <laughs> such an important 
thing to say. So I'm glad you said it. Aspiring is bullshit. Just because you're not paid for it doesn't mean it's not real. Uh, you are what you are and you do what you do. And if you put any time and energy into something, yeah, it's a part of what you are and who you do. And you have every right to say that, you know? Yeah. What really bugs me is why is that separated out from other things? Okay. So you paint a picture. You're a painter, but you don't get paid for it. You don't call yourself not a painter or an aspiring painter. No, you would call yourself a painter because you're painting. But somehow it's different with writing. And I don't know why that is. Maybe this is this whole thing of, you know, you know, you need to be published by X or published by Y, and you're not really legit until you actually get some validation. Well, if you paint a picture, you're a fucking painter. Yeah. You know, kids, when they're painting a picture, they don't say, I painted a picture, but I'm not a painter. It doesn't even make any sense. So why are we applying it to writing? Man, and I think it's such a good point because there's this this need for external validation. There mm-hmm. is yeah. there's fear when it's important. There is a lot of, I mean, I find it more in women, but I feel like it's getting worse in men. This mm-hmm. apologizing for what we do or downplaying. I got shit for it the other day where I kind of, I did something. And some of the work that I do in my day job uh, it's, it's very big. It's very important. I, I build education courses for adults and oh, it's a okay. shit ton of work. They're beautiful and they're incredibly important because they teach people how to do their jobs. Okay. But I tend to downplay not just the work, but the time, the energy, the everything that goes into it mm. to a point where people almost don't believe I do any work. <laughs> right. I know what you're saying. Yeah. And I, and I had a, a fellow woman, a female leader in my, in my company say like, you need to stop. You need to stop right now and don't say things like, Oh, I just, I just write. I'm just starting. Right. Oh, I just wrote one book. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm just on my first draft. It's the just, yes. just as bullshit. It is what you've done is amazing. What you, if you write at all, you've done more than 99% of the population has. And I'm talking like 99% of the aspiring writers who owe someday. And, and if that's, you know, if that's accurate and they want to, but they've never touched pen to paper, fine. Even in their heart and soul though, I'm a big believer, like you're a writer. You just haven't, you haven't got your ducks in a row yet. You haven't evolved yet. (laughs) Yeah. There's a bravery piece there. There's some blocks mm-hmm. that need to move, yeah. but downplaying what we do um, and apologizing for it. Well, oh, well, it's just erotica. I hear that one a lot too. Yes. It, no, no, baby. No, you still no. do the work. Yeah. There's some yeah, words we need to cut out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are good things to, to say. I mean, these are like things that should be like a meme, you know, like <laughs> do not use the word aspiring. Do not use the word just. I just did that. Yeah. Yeah, this is like these are things we need that so many it's so simple. It's so simple, but it just it bogs people down. Like, oh, I'm not a writer yet because I'm not published or I haven't published my own work yet. You know? Yeah. 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 And the the other piece that always gets me is I don't know how. Right. Nobody knows how. You all right. start we all start going like fish in the water flailing around fucking it up. <laughs> like, oh, well, I don't. And I mean, it held me back for years too. So I'm speaking from like to my younger self as well. Yeah. You are not going to know how to do something until you do the thing. Well, exactly. That's with anything. And it's silly. Yeah. I know. You don't know yeah. how to just know how to cook. You don't just like wake up in the morning <laughs> and be like, ah, I know how to make lasagna. You know I mean? <laughs> do babies just like give up because they don't know how to walk? 
Right. No. See, why? Where do we get this time? I guess it must be the judgment. All the people look at us. Yeah. yeah. Somebody gets family, mad about. Does yeah. anybody pick on a baby who's learning how to crawl and walk? Fuck no. No. It would be like just cruel and stupid, ignorant. But it's so true. And yet, like it is, I think it's a big piece, especially in like a graded school system and with our mm-hmm. culture, this like yes. fear of failure. It stifles creativity. It stifles. Mm-hmm innovation because we're so afraid of not getting it right. We won't even try. Yeah. And and when it comes to learning, you know, as an adult educator, I know this is so huge because learning sucks. Right. Like don't it's a, get me it's, wrong. it's an effort. Oh, it's it is an effort. It is embarrassing. It is challenging. If if people knew how often I swear at my computer and th- <laughs> like threaten to throw it out a window. Oh yeah, me too. Take them away. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that piece where it's like, if if nothing else, you don't know something, at least say, I don't know how to do that yet. Right. Because you can learn. There's, especially now with YouTube, what did we do before oh, YouTube? My gosh, yes. Crazy, oh. isn't it? Crazy. It's insane. Oh, it's it's just mind boggling. And I mean, to yes. a point where literally anything you need to know, it's already it's out on, there. Beautifully it's packaged. You don't even need to read. You know, right? right. Uh, yeah, it's so true. Um, it's so true. Oh man! And I, and again, like the the challenge with with talking to I'm going to say experts. Part of what I've found in this industry is lots of people tote themselves as experts. Lots mm-hmm. of people will tell you they're like the marketing expert. They know the only way to do things. They're the only way to edit. The only way to write. Um, and the poison in that yeah. is bullshit. Again, bullshit. Yes, There's not yes. one right way to do this. There's not no. one right way to market. Uh, if you try something and it doesn't work, either try again and try differently or yep. recognize there's space to, to learn and grow or try something else. Right. You know, exactly. just like, like with cooking and a recipe, you don't yes. quit making lasagna because you burnt one. <laughs> right. Exactly. You learn from it. Was, yeah. Yeah, that's how we learn how to do things. And that adult education piece, again, people expect it to be fast and easy. They're afraid of making a mistake. They're afraid of making a fool of themselves. Or we hire someone and they shame us because we don't know what they do. Um, no, it's just it's just part of this journey. And I think standing again and again in your power in your space and saying like, look, I don't know this yet. I don't know how to do this yet. I'm going to fuck this up. And yep. it's okay. It yep. does not matter. I can fuck yep. this up a thousand times. I just need to try a thousand and one. That's right. That's right. I mean, I always think of, I keep talking about Disney. I think about Walt and how much, how many times he tried and he never gave up. That's the yeah. key. Never give up. It, it is absolutely true. And I mean, the, I think the more stories you read of people, especially creative people who yes. failed and failed and failed and failed and finally got it right. And mm-hmm. in the failing, because that's the other thing, with creative people, failure seems to be things like, oh, I didn't sell anything yet. I didn't do right. anything yet. But they were creative the entire time. So right. they didn't stop. Or like George Lucas and the Star Wars, yeah. the Star Wars trilogy, like the first one, the story as I heard it was the, the, uh, the special effects processes did not exist when he first started filming. So some of the early screenings he did with like, like a flashcard or some kind of chopped in, you know, there will be a starter, there will be a starship here. 
Right. There were no special effects in the original screenings, not to the public, of course, but to his financiers and the rest of it. And people were like, you need to throw this in the garbage. This is the worst thing I've ever seen. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) You need to starship there. There's no starship. And and they they were brutal and just like, you need to stop now. And he didn't. And it's it's a cultural phenomenon. Oh my gosh, yes. People's childhood. There's so, I mean, what a multi-trillion dollar industry. I don't even know. Massive. And again, success is not dictated by the number of zeros behind your paycheck, That's but right. by the fact that you just didn't give, just didn't give up or try something else or Christ, I don't care. You try once and that's enough for you. Deal. You win. Carry on. Right. You know, let that stop you. I would still be crawling if we didn't. That's just not, I think that we don't have that nature. I think it just kind of somehow grows with time. But I don't think we all start out that way. We don't start out that if we did it, if we did we would never crawl to walk. I mean, it just wouldn't happen. Yeah. And I think our society beats us down. It expects perfection. It expects, again, success. It it defines success in such a narrow, stupid little way. And we can do better. We can define it for ourselves. We We can challenge the norms. I mean, people do it all the time with lots of different things. I just think in creativity, it's so much more vital because it's this piece of of who we are. And it doesn't, it doesn't need to be public if you don't want it to be. It doesn't, doesn't need to be anything more than, than what feeds your soul. And absolutely, but again, not easy, No, but what is? (laughs) (laughs) Just don't stop. I was like the the door we keep talking about Disney all the time. Just keep swimming. Isn't that what they say? Just keep swimming. Just well, we just saw like Disney floating throughout our whole conversation. It's kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> I guess it's the whole fairy tale thing, right? <laughs> you can't not go there. So, do you write in other genres too? Then I do. I write. Uh, well, I write. Call them romantic comedies. I don't know if that's exactly right. They kind of are. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm writing it. I mean, and again, under another uh, pen name, but a sure. series of. They're romance. So, you know, a little bit sexy, but not erotica by any stretch of the imagination. And I think almost all of them deal with, there's this kind of string of mental health issues, seven Mm. women kind of processing their own lives, their own trauma, their own challenges, but in kind of, in a very lighthearted, cheesy kind of way, because that speaks to my soul. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've written a very dark paranormal uh, I guess it's erotica. There's not the, there's not as much sex. So it's kind of pieced through it versus okay. a book of, a book of sex. So right. I don't, I never know exactly how to label things. And I've written young adult fantasy trilogy okay. that again, darker probably than it should, but it's quite <laughs> like it. Yes. Oh, that's nice. I know. I love to write in multiple genres too. And I, I think it's great that we can do that and we can take a different pen name and go a different direction if we so choose. It's, it's a great time to be be a writer and do what we're doing. So true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, just the permission, the availability, especially in Canada, because there we don't have the glut of publishing houses, the options, the, if we wanted to publish traditionally, it's a, it's a very different process and quite challenging. One of my high school friends, he's gone that route and the stories he tells, I really struggle with because it's like, Uh, why why would you go through all of that to have to do the same amount of work I do, but have no creative control? And and no, there's, it's, I don't get it. I mean, I I get it 
because again, like with his background, he needed that external validation. It was only real if it was published to a real publishing house. All of those pieces were important to him. Sure. I just don't, I don't have that. I did. I was, I was, I feel so powerful being able to own and manage every single piece of this and to be instrumental throughout the way and to build my team of support and like the, the incredible people that I have supporting me and backing me up and doing the things that I just, I don't know how to do, but I also just don't want to learn to do. There's also experts for all of that, right? Right. Um, Right. Nothing wrong with that. God. I would so much rather pay someone to format my books than do it myself. Oh, me too. That's one thing I don't do either. You know, yeah, it's it's not that expensive to pay someone to do. And I don't really need that skill set. So I I have people do it for me too, because why not? Why do I have to? I don't have to know how to do every little piece. No, I think there's there's an intelligence in that. Oh, sorry, a little squeegee there's an intelligence in in finding the experts knowing mm-hmm. expecting yourself to learn to know how to do all the things this is an awful a lot of time and again like if there's um there's lots of things i've taught myself to do like the actual publishing process i've gotten sure. the bag now i'm actually very very proud of like how i figured that out and all of the mistakes <laughs> i made along the right. way oh yes um, the times, you know, things getting rejected because I didn't press a button or do do the right. right thing or the thing was the wrong size or I don't even know. Right. Um, I don't do it anymore, though, or I do it less often. Right, right. Uh, yeah. So I think that's the piece where leveraging the knowledge and experience that already exists in the world can help. I found got me past some of those big obstacles and hurdles where you get stuck because, again, I don't know how to do that yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't need to know how to do it. Maybe exactly. you can you know, lean on your resources and you don't have to be the master of all things, especially when it takes away from, from your time to write. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, So true. So true. Some things are just worth paying for. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, gosh, we've been talking so long. I've really enjoyed our talk so much. This has been amazing. Is there anything else you want to touch on or talk about before we would end? I just, I know we could probably keep talking for like hours. I mean, seriously, it's just been really fun. I just been really connected with you. It's just been really a great talk. Thank you. Cause yeah, absolutely. This is no, this has just been a wonderful, thank you for the wonderful interview. And I appreciate that so much. Yes. The, last, the last thing I do want to share is I do have, well, I mentioned I've got three works in progress right now under Regina Grimm. So the two, the two backstories, one of them will be kind of softly named Snow White, the Rise of the Queen. And the second one will be Snow White, Osgar and Alice. Yeah, I forgot the lady's name, the queen's name. So I've got those oh, two backstories okay. coming out sometime in 2023. And I've got a work in progress called uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bear Hunters. Oh, nice. Oh, man, it is. I'm really <laughs> enjoying writing it. I am, I am like heavily invested in these characters. And again, those like that dark, edgy, violent piece that yeah. just yeah so more is coming maybe you know it's, it'll be a little break between them because this it's this i'm going to take this year a little bit to take care of some housekeeping let's say take care of gina a little bit and right. uh, and then the rest though there's 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 more coming so if you liked the snow white trilogy and you check out the the anthology is currently up and available as well so everything's on amazon uh, and yeah there's more to come so stay tuned 
Awesome. Well, and I'll put all your links down in the podcast notes, like your book links and you're on Twitter. What's your, what's your Twitter handle? I can look it up if you don't remember. I like something you don't always keep in your brain, right? Where else are you? Are you on any other social media or do you just kind of stick to Twitter? Currently, I'm not on any social media, so you'll have to forgive me. My presence has okay. been, when I get back, I what? yeah, come 2023, I'll be back on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I have a website. I blog a little bit, but don't, if you love blogs, I'm probably not your best person to follow. And I do have like an, an email list. So, so my peeps get updated and first kind of first crack at new and fun information. So all of that's available. Yeah. So I'm, I'm around trying to get into Pinterest, but not there yet. It's a, oh yeah. It's a I love Pinterest. I, I, I know Pinterest very well. My, under my real name, I use it quite heavily and it's, yeah, it's fun. It's super fun. Okay. So on Twitter, you are, I see it right now. Where did it go? There it is. Regina Grimm off. So like Regina, G-R-I-M-M-U-G-H. <laughs> and then you also have the website, reginagrimauthor.com. Yes. I see here. Okay. Awesome. I will put those down in the podcast notes as well. Thank you. My intention as soon, I think I'm currently, oh, and I'm on Kindle Unlimited. I think all four books are impossibly okay. the anthology. And I've got paperbacks coming out again, probably early 2023. There'll be paperback copies of all four. Nice. Kind of scattered throughout the year. So yeah, 2023, things are ramping up. My everything will get kind of back back on track. Uh, yeah, it's time. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, this has been great. I uh, Just really fun. And thank you so much for talking with me. And we had a great talk. I think it was awesome. Oh, just such a pleasure. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I hope to talk to you again soon. So thank you so much. This was absolutely beautiful. Thank you for the wonderful interview. I'm just, I'm over the moon. Appreciate you very, very much. Yes. Well, thank you. I thought it was really fun and I hope you have an awesome day. This was a great, great experience. So thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ready for some spring cleaning of your beard and groin hairs? Try out Manscaped products where you can get 20% off with my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to get 20% off and free shipping. In order to get the discount, use the promo code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to do that spring cleaning to get yourself ready for sexy times. Heat up your spring with a new shave, a new trim. Perhaps try going there. Get more skin smacks in the bedroom, if you know what I mean.